How many of you this past week purchased something? Yeah, me too. It's almost impossible not to purchase something in our world, right? I mean, you got at least food or something like that. You purchase it. And you know what that makes us, right? It makes us consumers. And we really are in a consumer-driven culture. And we really are consumer-driven people. And we're used to it. I mean, this is how we've lived our lives all the way along. It's just consuming. And when you really get honest, you admit that you like it. Because in this world where there are so many options and consumers then get to make choices, we get to be in the driver's seat as consumers. I mean, the sellers have to respond to our wants and needs. And if they don't, and some don't, then they go out of business and someone else rises up. I mean, we're in control. When someone doesn't meet our needs as a seller, as a, as a provider of a product or a service, when they disappoint us, all we have to do is leave them. And here's the problem. Because we're so used to being consumers in this world, many people approach marriage in the exact same way, as consumers. I mean, they think that their individual needs and their individual wants and their individual happiness is the priority in the relationship. And, and they, they look at their spouse as a provider of these things. And when they don't get provided, all of a sudden they start looking at their spouse in a different way. In fact, when their needs, wants, and desires for happiness aren't being fulfilled, many people who approach marriage as consumers want to dump the relationship like a consumer dumps the seller. I mean, it's, it's across the board. It impacts all of us because all of us are consumers. This is marriage for a lot of people these days, even those of us who claim something different. We kind of approach it as a consumer relationship. But we have to know right up front that it's not even close to what God intended or designed marriage to be, true love to be. Marriage is not based upon my needs, my wants, my happiness being supplied by my spouse. I am not a consumer of her services or her service. Marriage is about willingly committing myself to sacrifice really a sole focus on my needs and a sole focus on my wants and a sole focus on my happiness for the good of the whole relationship, for her good, not just mine. It's not a consumer relationship. The truth is it's a very different kind of relationship. It's a covenant relationship. And so as we finish this series, the, the first 50 years are always the hardest. We're going to look at this talk, what's love got to do with it? And there's a truth that absolutely becomes foundational if we're ever going to experience marriage, true love as God intended. And here's that truth. Genuine love 
does not and cannot exist apart from commitment. Genuine love does not and cannot exist apart from commitment. And the Bible's filled with this. Even though we live in a culture that's trying to experience all that love offers, all that marriage is supposed to be, without full commitment, God says it can't happen. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 7 and 8. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. There's only one way love can be that, and that's because it's founded on commitment. Jesus goes further in Mark chapter 10. He actually draws from the, the very first time we see God creating and defining marriage. And Jesus says this in Mark 10, starting with verse 6. At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become. They'll take this journey of going from being two independent, selfishly focused people to becoming one. They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And I, let me just throw out a couple of realities. I'm not going to spend any time on these at all, but when I look at 1 Corinthians 13 and Mark 10, what Jesus said about marriage, these are the realities that I realize are absolutely essential to understand in marriage. Love, true love, genuine love, love that lasts, is only embraced through commitment. The only way you can embrace love, a love that always protects and always trusts, that always hopes and always perseveres and never fails, the only way that you can embrace love where two become one is through commitment. It takes commitment. And yet many are trying to experience it without commitment today. Many want all the consequences of genuine love without the foundation required for genuine love. Another reality from these passages, love is only expressed through commitment. Now, we love to say, I love you. I mean, listen to the music, read the romance novels, you know, watch the movies, and man, it's like, I love you, I love you, I love you. I mean, we want to express love through words, but that's not how love is expressed. Love isn't expressed through words that we love the other person when what we're really doing is trying to manipulate them to serve our interest and to meet our needs. Love is only expressed through commitment when we say, I'm willing to sacrifice what's best for me alone for what's best for us and for you. Another reality from those passages, love is only experienced through commitment. And this is the big one because I believe every single one of us wants to experience the outcomes of knowing love. I mean, this is why we can, you know, tear up when we hear a good song or watch a great romantic comedy. And there aren't many great romantic comedies, but when they're great, they get you. And man, we want that. But very few are experiencing true love in marriage, in any relationship. Why? Because love is only experienced through commitment. And very few are willing to give that. And I want to share with you why love really doesn't exist, can't be experienced, expressed, or embraced apart from commitment. It kind of comes in a twofold way. Here's the reasons love isn't a feeling, love isn't a feeling. So it can't be embraced through words or feelings or, or gifts. Love can only be experienced. Through commitment, because love isn't a feeling. In fact, love is an action. Love is something we do, not something we feel. Now, 
There are times that feelings can be associated with true experiences of love, but the feeling isn't love. And the feeling doesn't come because we're looking for a feeling. The feeling comes because we experience love as an action. Great example of this is God. For God so loved the world, he gave. He didn't love the world because he had this feeling, you know, that we were loving him and worth it. The truth is we had all rejected him and were dismissing him, and yet God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Love is an action, not a feeling. When God commands us to love, he's not commanding us to feel a certain way. That's impossible. When he commands us to love, he's commanding us to act in a certain way. And here's what we need to remember. In this world that's all about feelings, we're all looking for feelings. I get it. And many times, we consume as consumers to get a feeling. I, I do this. I mean, I, I'll see something I really, really like and I'll really, really want and I'll feel really, really great when I first buy it. And the feeling lasts until I see something else I don't have that I really, really like and I really, really, really want. And we consume to try and build feeling. And this is very often what we do in our relationships. The problem is, though, though music sells it as a feeling, though movies sell it as a feeling, love is not a feeling, it's an action. We need to remember this. We can't control our feelings. Our feelings are going to constantly change. You know this. Anybody who's conscious knows this. We can't control our feelings. They're going to change. Look, at I wake up every morning and I feel awful until I go to Starbucks and then I feel good. I mean, our feelings constantly change. And think about it in a relationship setting. If we're looking for love to be a feeling, we're going to be in trouble most of the time, which is where most people are in their relationships. You know, it doesn't take much to change a feeling. Yeah, I, Roxanne and I, in June, will celebrate our 35th anniversary. And I'm going to tell you, in our home, everything can be going great I mean, everything can be going great. She can, you know, I mean, we can go to bed at night and, and, you know, her eyes tell me, I really do love you, you know, and I go, thank God, got through another day, that kind of thing. I'm a husband, right? And then she has a dream. And the dream changes everything. Now, I, I, I'm not kidding. When she has a dream, it can become my worst nightmare. Because we go to bed and everything's fine. She's feeling good. I'm feeling good. And she wakes up and she's angry at me. And she goes, I had a dream last night about you. And I feel the need to remind her that dreams aren't real. I was asleep over here dreaming about something else, babe. I didn't do it. But she's really emotionally not in a good place because he had this dream about me and all of a sudden this dream makes it possible and oh no, and it's like we have had horrible days because of a dream. Why don't we base love on feelings? I mean, they're so controlled. We can't control feelings. We can't base love or marriages on feelings because we can't control them, but we can control our actions. And I'm so thankful she's never left me over a dream. I mean, you know, it's like she's decided to act out love instead of follow her feelings. We can't promise to feel love, but we can promise to love because it's an action. We can promise and make commitments to act out love even when we don't feel it. And here's what a lot of people don't know, especially people, I think, who are in younger relationships and in every marriage, 
and I've had three and a half decades of experience with it, in every marriage, there will be seasons when the feeling of love is nowhere to be found. It's just nowhere to be found. And in these times, we need to remember that love isn't a feeling. It was never a feeling. Love is an action. And in those times when feelings are nowhere to be found, we need to remember that we've committed to loving the right way for a lifetime, which is an action. And we have to love that way no matter how we feel. And over time, here's the good news. I have, I have searched in the darkness for tons of time for the feelings of love that all of us cherish and all of us want and not found them but kept trying to do the right actions of love and ultimately you know what I found the right actions can ultimately lead to the right feelings and this goes back to a study that I talked about in the first talk of the series where where people who define their marriages as unhappy I mean, that's their definition. How, how do you feel about marriage? Unhappy. In five years, if they stay together, if they don't get divorced, if they stay together, in five years, two-thirds of the couples that saw their marriage through the lens of being unhappy ultimately defined their marriage within five years as happy. How'd that happen? They stayed in the game. They kept committing to loving with the right actions, and as a result, the feelings followed. Love is not a feeling, it's an action. But we can experience feelings when we do the right thing. This is where the feelings come from when we're dating. We're doing the right stuff and they're drooling all over us. You're awesome. I told you in one of these talks, my wife one time said, you're perfect. And I was going, I know you make me feel so good, baby doll. You know? <laughs> doing the right thing can lead to the right actions. That's the good news. But here's the bad news. The wrong actions can magnify the wrong feelings. And because so many people see love as a feeling and they're consuming from this other person that they're with, even if they don't know it, they're, they're looking for this person to produce the right feelings in them by meeting their desires and needs and wants and all that different stuff, and it's not happening. What happens is they start to withdraw and they start to do the wrong things and they start to be mean too and they start to do all these things too. And what that does is magnify all the wrong feelings. And because we're looking and living for a feeling in our marriages, we destroy our marriages. It's ridiculous. Marriage, genuine love, cannot be experienced apart from commitment for this very reason. Love is an action, and commitment is the only thing that keeps us in the game. And too many people aren't willing to get in the game. Now, if we're going to experience genuine love, relationships that really do last, then we have to know the requirements to commitment. Because, you, you know, commitment isn't... A lot of people stand on a platform because they have to when they get married... And they say, I do, 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 I do. They don't mean it. They just have to do it. There are requirements beyond words to commitment. What are those requirements? Let me just kind of share the biblical principle of what commitment involves. It, requ it requires a choice. If we're going to truly make a commitment, it requires a choice to make a commitment. Not just to do what we have to do to get in the game, but to truly make the commitment so we're really in the game. Look at Matthew 19.5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. It takes a choice. And if you're going to make the choice to be committed to someone for a lifetime, it's true in any friendship, in any relationship, 
If you think about it, it's true vocationally. You have to make a commitment there to truly experience the best of that. But boy, in marriage, if you're going to make a choice to be committed for a lifetime, for forever, there are some things you should know. And I'm speaking from experience because I'm going to tell you, Roxanne and I met. I was 18. She was 17. It was our first semester in college is when we met. And we started becoming kind of best friends. And then it kind of grew into a romantic thing with each other. And, I mean, it was great. We got married. I turned 21 the month before we got married, and she was still 20. That's young. And here's what I've learned since. We were stupid. We were. You know, we were listening to all the 70s music. Feelings. <laughs> Nothing more than feelings. Yeah. We're in, and we jumped into this thing. And you know what we've said since? We've said, we got lucky. Because we had tons of friends who were in the same situation we were, doing the same things we did, getting married. And you know, they're all divorced now. They felt the same way we did. They did the same things we did. And they're now divorced and we're not we got lucky because we weren't smart enough to make the choice knowing things we just kind of jumped in and said hope we can swim and we got lucky but there are some things you should know now these are not things that you should go home and say if you've been married 30 years I'm gonna divorce you I didn't know this when we got married I'm done this is not an excuse for getting rid of your spouse friends But this is a help to know if you're moving towards commitment, there are some things you should know to make a wise choice. And here's one. You should know yourself. You need to know yourself. I was a a kid. I knew nothing about myself. I'm not the most introspective person in the world. I felt good. Let's go with it. But it's huge to know yourself. You, You have to be able to ask questions like, am I really ready for this kind of responsibility, this kind of commitment? And the truth was I wasn't. Roxanne and I got lucky. I should have known, I should have known that I had a tendency to jump too fast and regret. This is how I got kicked out of school four times. I mean, I acted and then I thought that's not really the best way to stay married, you know? And and so I should have known myself. I should have I should have actually had people around me who were saying, look, you have the tendency to jump in. Let's, let's look at this logically and let's, let's follow a plan so you get there. But I, I didn't do that. And then another thing, you have to know yourself. Does this person compliment who you are? I don't know. I just liked her. She was cool. Does she compliment who you are? Does he compliment who you are? And, and too many times we just let it happened and we better be careful with that because when we let it happen you know what we're basing love on feelings instead of choice and commitment turns out Roxanne is an unbelievable compliment for me I mean she, I, I am better in every area of my life because of my wife Roxanne every area and I'll tell you I'm, I'm more of like a high energy action oriented big picture let's get it done guy love working off of adrenaline if we're going on vacation for an example I mean it's like you know, I don't have to start packing until 4 in the morning if we're leaving at 5, right? I mean, it's like, let's get it done. Got some adrenaline. It's awesome. My wife's a compliment because she starts preparing a decade before the vacation, you know? I'm serious. She has, she has something in mind as an alternative to every single possible thing we could ever need. And it bugs the fire out of me. She has a packing list for every experience in life. 
Brad, you're going to the pharmacy. Here's your packing list. You know, it's really, I think I can get this one done. She really does. She has a packing list for a long weekend in a car, a long weekend in a, in, in a plane. She has a packing list for, you know, domestic trips and foreign trips. She has a pack. I mean, it's crazy. Right now, we're getting ready to go to Israel this week with 100 people from Northridge. And I have a suitcase laid out, and there's a packing list on top of it, you know? It's like, no! But, you know, inevitably, whenever we go anywhere... There comes the moment in time when I go, hey, honey, do you happen to have... She goes, yep! (laughs) And I go, yeah! But most people just jump in and they never think about who they are and what a compliment would be to them. If you're going to make a commitment for a lifetime, you need to know yourself. You also need to know the other person. You really do. This is essential to making a commitment that will last too many people because they're going on a consumer mindset they're doing it on feeling based issues how a person looks and how they feel when they're around them but you need to know every one of those things are going to change and you need to ask yourself will I really like this person when they don't look this way anymore will I really Roxanne and I started our relationship and once again we lucked into it it wasn't because we were wise but we started out just loving being with each other friends we were like two foreigners in a strange land we were at a Christian university (laughs) we wanted out and it made us best friends (laughs) it was like and and, uh, but I mean I wanted to be with her not just because of how she looked though that meant something to me but because of who she was and you should also know something about their track record Does this person have a tendency to be true to their commitments or to break their commitments? Is this a person that gives you probable evidence that they might be true to their promise or have they always broken promises? Because that means something. Do you know the only thing you get to secure a marriage is the promise of the other person? If they have no character, maybe you should think about it. It's dumb. And you should also know, if you're going to make the choice to be committed, you should know what you want. I mean, what do you really want? And I'm going to, I I mean, I've been a part of a lot of people coming towards marriage. And and I'm going to tell you, usually they have a list of wants that ultimately won't matter. And they're not even thinking about the wants that will ultimately matter. And I just encourage people, know what you really want. Have a list of non-negotiables. I will not negotiate on these issues if the person isn't a person of faith as an example if you're a person of faith or if the person isn't a person of character or responsible or if the person doesn't you know have the same dreams I have or whatever then no it's not going to happen and then you can have a list of non-negotiables and once again I said Roxanne and I got lucky because we weren't smart enough to know these things and she had a list for what she wanted in a husband (laughs) and I'm not kidding this is absolute literal He had to be tall. I know I'm standing on a six-foot platform, but if you've ever met me in person, I'm not that tall. I'm 5'10". Okay? He had to be (laughs) blonde-haired, blue-eyed, play the guitar, and sing. I'm none of those things. None. She got nothing on her list, but she got the Prince Charming she was looking for. No, that's not... It's like... I mean, seriously, the good news is, even though we weren't looking for it, 
we were anchored on the non-negotiables, but the negotiables were kind of messed up. And we got lucky. You should know these things or you're going to really mess up. And by the way, I didn't know this either. I, I saw marriage as all good. It's like I got to be with my best friend with benefits, you know, it's going to be awesome forever. Get to eat chocolate. No one's going to tell me no. I mean, it was like I saw it all as good. But you know, there's good and bad with marriage. There is. I mean, the good outweighs the bad in my opinion. But there's good and bad because there's stuff that happens in marriage when you put two together to be one. In fact, we thought, instead of me talking about we thought we'd show you. We found a video about the three stages of marriage. It's awesome. There's good and bad with marriage. This is an example. If you're going to make the choice to commit yourself to another person for a lifetime, you need to know some things. But it goes beyond choice. You have to know that you're choosing a covenant. Commitment is about covenant, making a covenant. Look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 6. Marriage is a covenant relationship, not a consumer relationship. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let not man separate. It's about a covenant. And this is the essence of marriage. Covenant, not consumer. But it's missing from most marriages today. Most people don't even understand the idea of a covenant, what it is, what commitment is, and many aren't willing to make it when they do. You see, a covenant is a binding agreement, a binding promise. And in the case of marriage, it's to the person you're marrying. I do, I will doesn't matter what happens in your life, rich or poor, sick or healthy. I mean, I'm in. It's a covenant with them, but it's not just to them. Marriage is the, is the most serious covenant on the planet because it's to that person, but it's also to everyone that values that person. The reason a wedding often has all the important people in the couple's lives are because this covenant isn't just being made with the person, it's being made to... Everyone who values that person. 
It's a promise. I'm going to take care of this person. I'm going to love this person. I'm going to be there for this person. You can trust me with that. And not just to the person you're marrying and to those that love them most, which is why people and families get so hurt when divorce happens. And a lot of us know that from experience, right? But it's also a covenant we make before God. You made this human being. And I'm covenanting to take care of this human being before you, God. And when we betray this covenant, we're not just betraying our spouse, but God and every important person in their lives. The marriage covenant is a big deal. And when we make this commitment, this covenant, what we're doing is we're giving up the freedom to focus entirely on ourselves. If you want to focus entirely on yourselves, don't get married. Which is why a lot of people aren't. They're going, okay, I won't get married, but I'm going to get everything I want anyway. The only problem is you're not getting everything you want because commitment is required to experiencing true love. So a lot of people are masquerading by going from one person to another, from one relationship with, to another, with no real commitment at all, and they're getting feelings. But the feelings will die. They always do, because love is an action and not a feeling. And so you have to bounce from one puppy love, adrenaline relationship after another, and you're giving your soul away, and you're getting nothing in return. It takes a covenant, a commitment to experience it. The truth is that when we make this covenant, we are committing to live for the good of the other person and not just us, the good of the relationship and not just us alone. We're going to sacrifice for the other. A great illustration is seen in the covenant between a parent and a child. And this is interesting because everyone knows there's a covenant between a parent and a child. You can't just get rid of a kid when you don't like them. I wanted a blonde-haired kid. Get lost, you know? You can't do that. It's a covenant. And so parents sacrifice their freedom to, f to focus on the kid. And it's forever. We just saw the Mother's Day video, and a mom's job description is like, I mean, their entire life is lived for these kids. And why do they do it? Because they get it. It's a covenant relationship. But what we don't understand is that marriage is the same thing. It's a covenant relationship. Do you know why we throw marriage away so easily when we don't do that with our kids? Because we see kids as a covenant relationship and we see marriage as a consumer relationship. We've let culture define us. This series isn't meant to make you feel guilty if you've gone through failure. This series isn't meant to beat you up and leave you black and blue because of, you know, what's happened in your past. There's grace. Our failures don't have to be final. But know this, the reason we're not experiencing love as God designed it, and the reason marriage isn't working like God designed it is because we're approaching it as consumers. And it's a covenant relationship. When people aren't willing to get married... You know, they just want to cohabitate. They don't want to make this kind of covenant. They're simply acknowledging, I don't care what they say, they're simply acknowledging that they're not willing to give up their personal freedom and their personal agenda and their personal goals for the good of the other person and relationship. You know, 
this, this is a consumer relationship. And if you want to hang out with me, great. If, you know, if you're meeting my needs, great. If you're not costing me much, too much, great. And if you're bringing me, you know, the desires and the happiness I want, great. But, but, but don't ask me to change my life for you. Don't ask me to give up anything for you. Why in the world would anyone sell themselves to that kind of junk? Because they're so insecure about their own worth. They're so desperate that they're willing to take advantage of to be with another person instead of experience true love, which just makes their life even worse. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you are there right now. To experience true love, it takes a commitment. It takes a choice. And it takes one other thing. It takes character. Character. And let's be honest, we're living in a world without a lot of character these days. A world where people make a promise to make a buck, but they don't mean it at all. They make a promise to win a, a political office, but they don't mean it at all. And they make a promise to another person, but they don't mean it at all. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is all about character. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Every single one of those definitions of love is about character. Do you realize the value of a commitment is only as good as the character of the person making the commitment? No wonder marriage is suffering today. Character is essential. As an example of how commitment, when it's based upon character, as an example uh, that it can really endure and make it through good times and bad. We thought we'd have some fun this weekend. We, we have all kinds of people here, and we're so glad that you're here. And some of you have been married a very long time. And we just want to recognize the couple who's been married the longest because it's just proof positive. When they said, I do, they meant it. Either that or they had no better options. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That's a joke. And so if you've been married for 45 years or more, would you stand? If you've been married for 45 years or more, stand. Give them a hand. That's awesome. Stay standing. That's great. That's awesome. Fantastic. Remain standing. If you've been married for 50 years, remain standing. If less than 50, sit down. Okay, wow. Great. All right. I'm going to go big. If you've been married for 55 years or more, stay standing. If less than 55, be seated. Seriously? Okay. That's awesome. If you've been married 130 years... No, I'm just kidding. If, if, if you've... If you've been married 60 years or more, remain standing. If less than 60, be seated. Okay? More than 60, more than 60, more than 60? Okay. Very good. We have three couples that I see. Am I right? All right. If you've been married, I'll, I'll go to... Sit down when I hit the number that you're less than. If you've been married 61 years, remain standing. If not, sit down. 62 Okay. By the way, congratulations. That's really awesome. 62 years. Proud of you. It's awesome. Um, if you've been married 63 years, remain standing. If less than 63, be seated. I think we have the longest married couple. How long? Give them, how long have you been married? 64 years. Give them a big hand. 
You can go. We, uh, we actually have a, we have a dozen roses for the guy. Uh, no, no, actually, the dozen roses for the woman who stayed with him for all these years. Congratulations, that's awesome. <clears throat> Sixty-four years. Serious. Sixty-four years. That's awesome. I'm young. <laughs> really young, actually. You make me feel good. Uh, here's the thing. You know how they stayed together? When they said I do, they meant it. Now I can't talk about the quality and character of the marriage. I can't talk about the intimacy. I can't talk about the feelings, but I can tell you this, there's only one way they stayed married all these years. They both meant it when they said, I do. And that's a big deal. Very few people experience that because very people go into marriage with a commitment. That's why very few people have the potential for true love because I want to share with you the results. Just quickly share with you the results that come with commitment-based love. First John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And there's a lot of fear in this world about relationships, a lot of insecurity and all this different stuff, but and the results of commitment-based love, commitment-based marriage, is that we get to experience in life everything we're ultimately looking for in relationships. The first one is security. Security. I mean, when you have a covenant relationship with another person, and it takes a while to know for sure that, that this is... Both people take it seriously. But when you have a covenant-based relationship with another person, it gives you a safe place. You can be vulnerable. You don't have to be afraid that they'll find out something about you that will change their, their love for you. It gives you security. And security is essential to experiencing relationship. You know what happens to people who are just living together? They have to continue to live as consumers. I mean, they have to every day prove that they're, you know, worth being with and prove that they're there. And it's, there's so much insecurity in it, you'll never experience the, the contentment of true love without security. Now, I do have to say, and this is really important to be heard, God knows and understands the reality of marriage. It's two flawed people coming together as one. And it is extremely possible for someone to make a commitment and not live up to it because people are flawed. And because of this, God doesn't trap people in a prison, in bondage to a decision that they took seriously, but the other person didn't. And so, you know, in Matthew 19, as an example, Jesus makes it clear that when someone betrays their covenant promise through sexual infidelity, that actually removes the bondage of the other person from this commitment that could destroy their life for the rest of their life if this person continues to be their spouse. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Bible talks about not being under the bondage of your covenant when you were true to it and the other person just decides to leave. Even though God hates divorce and divorce is an infrequent and special exception, you need to know that when you make an absolute commitment and the other person betrays that commitment and, and leaves you, God doesn't hold you responsible for their betrayal. But you're never going to experience any of the positive consequences of true love until you understand that marriage is about commitment. It's not about consuming. It's not just security that we get 
we also get motivation. I'm going to tell you, Roxanne and I know that our only chance for relational happiness, our only chance for it, comes from each other. If I'm going to experience the kind of love that I'm looking for in life, and if she's going to experience the kind of love she's looking for in life, we're it, baby. And that's motivating. I, I literally, I, we've been married 35 years, and I still, every year I'm reading relationship books, and I'm doing things to try and, well, Roxanne picks them out and gives them to me, and uh, no, I, I mean, but I'm, I, she really doesn't, but I'm, I'm motivated. I want this relationship to be what God designed it to be, and so does she. Provides motivation. People who don't have a commitment, they have no motivation to go the extra mile. It also results in growth. I mean, we grow through a commitment. Because, do you know what immaturity is? It's, it's when we can be totally absorbed in ourselves. And that's where most of the world is, even in relationships. When you cohabitate with someone, they're still into themselves and, you know, they're adding you to their life. They're not making you their life. There's no reason to grow. I, I have to be honest. I didn't start growing up until I was married. I didn't have to. I could focus on me. Marriage demanded growth from me. And I'm going to be really honest. Roxanne still says I have a long way to go. But she would concur that I have grown because of our relationship. It also results in intimacy. Marriage, when it's based upon a covenant, a choice, and character, results in true intimacy. What all of us long for. We long to be fully known and still fully loved. I told you in the first talk that I was reading a book by Tim Keller called The Meaning of Marriage, and it inspired the series. And I want to give you a quote that Tim gave in the book. To be loved but not really known is comforting but superficial. We know they don't really know us, and that's why they love us. That's my addition. He went on to say, to be known and then not loved is our greatest fear. We fear that when someone truly knows us, they won't love us, he's saying. And then he goes on. But to be fully known and truly loved is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, it humbles us, and it fortifies us for any dif difficulty life can throw at us. That's a beautiful thing. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. When we truly experience the consequences of commitment in our love relationships, we finally understand what God meant when he looked down at Adam and Eve in that first marriage and said it was good. It was good. And so let me give you the application. If we're going to genuinely know and enjoy love, we must be willing to ask for and make a commitment. We must be willing to ask for and make a commitment. We're living in a world where many people are afraid to ask for a commitment from the other person for fear that they'll lose that other person. Let me just tell you, that stems from insecurity. That stems from the idea that I'm not valuable enough for this other person's love. And so I can't ask them for anything or they would leave me and I would deserve it. And this is why we have all these relationships with benefits. We give ourselves as if we're married when we're not because we're afraid we're not worthy of a person's commitment to us. You will never experience what you're looking for when you give yourself to relationships that way. Never. Never. You're being consumed. They're looking at you as if they're a consumer and you're the product.
God fearfully and wonderfully made you. You are of value. And you should ask for a commitment or not enter in because you'll never find what you're looking for. And not only should we ask for a commitment, we should make a commitment if we really want to know and enjoy love. We have to make a commitment. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 28. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Marriage is based upon two people loving each other as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? Sacrificially. He gave up everything, all of his rights, all that he deserved to love us. And this applies to people already married. Just because you said I do doesn't mean you're living I do. I believe many people who are married are living single. Turning it into a consuming relationship or living their own lives. The truth is we need to make a commitment that we are going to covenant our focus, not just on ourselves, but on the relationship, on the other person, like Jesus did. Realize Jesus' commitment to love us wasn't feeling-based. He didn't feel like hanging on a cross. But he stayed. Why? Because Jesus knew love wasn't a feeling. It's an action. It's not a consumer-based relationship. It's a commitment-based relationship. You want to experience the consequences of love? It cannot exist apart from commitment. Ask for it and make it. And you want an example of it? Jesus for you. The truth is we can't really love another person this way unless we're already fully loved. Because you see, the reason we approach each other as consumers is because we have needs that aren't being met. We have this emptiness and this lack of value and worth and meaning and significance. We, we, we just, we're just incomplete. And so what we do in that situation is we start looking for someone else to complete us. And so we're consuming them, not committing to them. But when we experience the love of God, what he does is he takes away the emptiness and the insecurities and the lack of value. When we know his unconditional love for us, then we don't have to look for it from another person. We can now offer it to another person. It's a whole different deal. Let me just give you this important note at the end. If if you're going to experience God's love so that you can truly love someone else, it takes the same thing any relationship takes. It takes commitment. We will never genuinely know or enjoy God's love without commitment. He's already made his commitment to us. He's already said, I do. He's doing it on his own. We need to say, I do to him. Look at how Jesus said it in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened down. I mean, life is crashing against you and it's destroying you. Come to me and I'll give you rest. But then he says something interesting. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And when you take my yoke upon you, you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That yoke thing's interesting, isn't it? Come to me. But if you come to me, you've got to take my yoke on. You know what a yoke is? It's a great illustration of what marriage is. A yoke was this wooden device that was put on the neck of two animals so they could work together in an agrarian world. And they had to do everything together. One took a step, the other had to take a step. One turned left, the other had to turn left. One turned right, had to... I mean, they were literally submitting to one another because they were yoked. 
And Jesus says, if you want to come to me and experience my love, my rest, then you need to commit to me, be yoked to me. But know this, my yoke's different than the yoke that you're wearing. In this world, we are going to be yoked to something. Most of us are yoked to our own selfishness, our own greed, our own emptiness, our own needs, and we're just living for ourselves, and we're using other people, and we're missing the whole point. And that's why we're weary and burdened. But Jesus says, when you yoke to me, commit to me, you experience rest. And when you're no longer burdened and weary, you can now invest in another. But it starts with your commitment to Jesus. I think many people haven't made the commitment. It's time to make the commitment to Jesus, and then you can make the commitment to others. And so before we end, I'm going to invite you, if you would, just for a moment to bow with me in a word of prayer. Would you do that? And as we pray, I want to invite you to take my prayer, these words I say, but make them yours and give them to God. Just say, Jesus, I'm coming to you right now weary and burdened. I've failed. I'm guilty. I've sinned. But I believe you can give me rest. You died on the cross to forgive my sin. You rose again to give me new life. And so I'm committing myself to you and to your love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, please let us know. We want to celebrate it, but more than that, we want to put in your hands this information we've put together where you can take some next steps in your relationship with God. And it's so easy. If you're in one of our live services, you just take out the program and rip out the connection card, fill it out, check the circle at the bottom, and we have boxes at every exit. Throw it in there, would you? And then we'll do the rest. We'll send you that information. If you're watching on demand, just hit the what next button. We'll do the same for you. Here's the deal. Marriage is difficult. Marriage is hard. Not just the first 50 years. But I would imagine the couple that just got honored who've been married 64 years would say, yep, it's pretty tough. He won't do what I want him to do, she'll say, you know. (laughs) But here's what makes it possible. Commitment. And God's the only one who makes the right kind of commitment possible. And it's my prayer. You know his love so you can love another person. And when you do, it's good. Have a great week. See you next time.